This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, June 12th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Smart takes a budget pit stop. G is for government, previews Telluride Town Council. Bluegrass roots. And a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation took a mid-year look at its budget last week. And Executive Director David Averill reports halfway through the year, SMART's spending and funding are more or less on target, with some unexpected bumps along the road. How you look at it, Averill says, is sort of a glass half empty or glass half full situation. So, um, but there are some new expenses um, and also, in, in, I guess in a better way to put it, um, some new revenue sources that we want to account for in the in the budget with a budget amendment. So I'll go over those real quick. In terms of unexpected expenses, a development which came about during the state legislative session this year means SMART will have to update its website. They passed a, a bill that um, mandates local governments, special districts, districts, etc., um, to upgrade their websites to a, um, a baseline level of accessibility for folks that are uh, visually cha- visually impaired or have a hard time hearing and things like that. Averill says for a regional transport authority, which uses multiple maps and visual tools in its documents, this could be an ambitious project. Our documents, one one downside is that our, our scheduling documents with the maps of the system and all that kind of stuff are pretty complicated to, to convert. Um, but we are going to dig in on that a little bit, make sure that we're doing only what we need to do to meet the letter of the law. Um, and not go much beyond that unless we have to. The unexpected cost raise eyebrows on the board, with some members wondering why estimates for a website revamp were so steep. Smart Operations Manager Carrie DeStefano adds, speaking with the authority's web developer, they're not the only ones in the state facing a sticker shock. She said um, everybody was getting hit with some pretty big bills that were surprising to them. So you know, we'll do the best we can. I can also apply for a micro grant, which I intend to do through SIPA to get at least some money back for it. But um, it, I, I think it did come as a little bit of a shock to folks. But as promised, the glass is not only half empty. SMART received a grant from the Federal Transit Authority for Strategic Planning. That funding will help SMART plan for future priorities, service areas, and expansions. It will also look ahead towards the gondola replacement coming up in 2027. Averill says he hopes the grant and the planning process will help connect SMART to the general public. It's just, I guess it's just related to the overall gondola conversation um, and making sure that we are listening to our constituents as we move towards that vote, that potential vote in November of 2024. And I think um, by having a more robust public public input process for this planning project, we'll be able to help that that process along as well. Another surprise for the smart board, and this one welcome, was a windfall from the stock market. Here's Averill. Easter egg falling from heaven, if you will, the um, unearned interest income on our our capital um, reserve account, the the money market account, it doing really well, reflecting 5% um, on that. And so far this year, we're almost at $75,000 in revenue. It's going to go well beyond that. The core of SMART's operating budget is the fuel, maintenance, and staffing costs for its fleet of area buses. Averill reports those numbers are all right where the transit authority would expect for a half-year check-in. Eyeing the new expenses and the new resources, the SMART board will continue to adjust its remaining goals and projects in the coming months.
Telluride Town Council is meeting on Tuesday with mayoral duties, childcare, and housing on the docket. In this installment of G is for Government, Council Member Geneva Shawnette shares what to expect. Town Council is back on Tuesday for a bluegrass weekend, but not themed town council meeting. Um, Starting off with a number of work sessions in the morning. First, um, talking about the vacancy of Delaney Young, who stepped down as mayor several weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at 10 a.m., we're just going to discuss... Uh, the process of the mayor vacancy, uh, essentially me and Fee, who is our uh, mayor pro tem, will serve as the mayor until the election in November. It doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have a special election when we're about to have an election for the mayor anyway in November. So that's the direction we're going with that. Um, after that, we will discuss uh, the boards and commission assignments for all of council and the mayor pro tem. Um, Delaney sat on quite a few of those boards, so we're going to divvy those up. Next, we're going to discuss town involvement in child care. Um, right now, we have a couple of uh, preschool um, daycare centers that the town has provided land for and various subsidies, but there's still a really struggle um, both for capacity and uh, staffing in our town in the realm of childcare. So we're going to talk about ways that the town can get involved and try and help support that industry in town. Um, the next and last work session is at 11.15, and we're going to talk about the Canyonlands slash Tower House Potential Public-Private Partnership. So basically, um, I don't know, a handful of months ago, we put out a uh, request for um, proposals for a developer to build affordable housing on these two lots. And just as a reminder, um, the Canyonlands is a lot right next to uh, the grocery store, Clark's, and the Tower House is just another lot to the east over um, where many, many locals have lived over the years. But um, yeah, we put it out and we got a a solid proposal from an organization. We're going to talk that through with James Van Hooser um, and Lance McDonald and discuss whether or not we want to move forward with working with this development team to build out that those properties. Based off of your conversation on Canyon Lens and Tower House in the morning, there is potential for a vote on that in the afternoon. Yes, that's Um, true. You are also going to be discussing some stuff when it has to do with funding and money that was previously going to the Valley floor or open space in general. What's that conversation going to look like? Yes. So um, this has been upcoming uh, for a while as we've seen the owing on the Valley floor um, number go down and down until we finally paid it off this spring, which is really exciting. Um, Back uh, way back when. Uh, The town passed an ordinance, the voters passed an ordinance, that 20% of all unencumbered funds that come into the town of Telluride be set aside for open space to help us pay off that um, property debt. And we did so. So now we don't need quite so much money going to open space. And we're going to reallocate some of those funds to other future upcoming big ticket items like the wastewater treatment plant, perhaps the gondola. Um, We just have a lot of infrastructure Uh, needs and expenses coming up. So we're going to be discussing, you know, how much of this percentage we want to continue to devote to open space for ongoing stewardship projects or maybe potentially land acquisitions. Um, And we'll just be discussing what uh, the Open Space Commission thinks, what the managers recommend, our manager's department recommends, and um, 
decide how we will make that decision, where whether the town council will vote. It could also go to the voters as it did before. Um, but we will, yeah, we'll be deciding what to do with those extra monies that we have been have been devoted to this one issue for so, so long. Yeah. Um, is there anything else on Tuesday's agenda that you think listeners would be interested to tune in for? Um, we will be voting on second reading of an ordinance that um, raises the compensation plan for the mayor and town council, not those who are sitting on council at the moment, but for whoever gets elected in the fall. If this um, raise gets passed, uh, they will be collecting more cash as a compensation package, as well as the health insurance and um, ski pass benefits that come to all town of Telluride employees. And I highlight that because now is the time to start thinking about if you'd like to run for town council or for mayor, we have two town council seats available and of course the mayoral seat um, and hope to see a pool of qualified applicants or candidates, I should say, running for these important positions. I've found it to be a really fulfilling way to participate in the community and I hope others do too. Geneva, thanks for coming in and chatting and we'll see you at town council on Tuesday. Festival! The 50th annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival is just around the corner. The weekend also leads into Juneteenth, on Monday, June 19th. The holiday marks the day the last enslaved people in the South found out the Civil War was over and they were free. In honor of both, we are rebroadcasting a story about the African and African-American roots of bluegrass music. The story originally aired in June 2020. I think what happens is that people feel the stuff that went into this music, but then we don't talk about it, you know, so then that's a surprise. But it's like, I think all the stuff that we're talking about is what people feel in the music. My name is Rihanna Giddens and I'm a musician. I I have to say, you know, genres are, I'm not a fan of it because I, I, I also feel like it erases the history of you know, cross-cultural collaboration that really goes into American music. People listen to everything, you know, and like these string bands that were kind of all over the country, they played anything. They played what people wanted to hear, you know? So there was this sort of American music that was, that was coming into being, but then the record companies get into it and you start having recordings and you have to have a bin. If you want to sell music, you have to, you have to put it in the category that, because that's, that's how marketing works, right? So for me, it wasn't a natural thing in, in American music to have genres. It was a thing that was forced upon the music. My name's Sean McCullough, and I teach musicology at the University of Tennessee and also play music for kids and play in a band with my wife called The Lone Tones. The banjo has its roots in Africa, and of course the fiddle has its roots in Europe. So that's a nice image, you know, the marriage of the European fiddle and the African banjo, but it is much deeper than that. Like, I got into the banjo, and then I found, oh, the banjo is an African-American instrument. I'm like, what? For me, the realization that something that was uh, considered and portrayed as such a white instrument, and it's not to say that the banjo doesn't have a huge part in Appalachia, or the Appalachia doesn't have a huge part of the banjo, which it's, it is, but the, that kind of narrative was just absolutely false. And so I was, 
I was like, well, if that, something that we all would say, yes, of course I know that, is so utterly wrong, what else is so utterly wrong? You know, even if you go back pre-bluegrass as a specific style and go to older string band styles and you listen to, say, a Scottish or Irish fiddler play a tune and then listen to an Appalachian fiddler play the same tune, one of the huge influences you're going to hear on that Appalachian style is the African-American elements of rhythmic syncopation, improvisation and blue notes, bending notes, bending into notes. So those things have been around for a long time because, of course, there were black fiddle players too, right? And so they became part of the tradition. So everybody who's coming here has a home country. African-Americans didn't. They had a home continent that's a lot different, right? So as soon as African Africans stepped foot on in the New World, they were already starting to have to meld with other Africans, with Europeans. They started a process of synthesizing so when you get to the new world, you automatically start the process. It's not assimilation, it's acculturation, right? And it's a mixture of cultures that's, that's forming a new culture in the new world. The backbeat has become such a huge part of American music, you know, putting the rhythmic accent on the two and the four in a meter of four beats per measure, you know, that comes out of this notion of syncopation that was influenced by African and African-American music. So if you have a like, you know, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You feel that it's pulling at the beat by um, kind of accenting other places. And syncopation, of course, is, you know, can be more complex than just the backbeat. It's just a real straight there's a lot of history and a lot of culture um, to be found in, in music. I just, you know, every time I, I dig, I find things that, that then make the history books make more sense. The more that I like, dig into stuff in the 20s, for example, the more my grandparents make sense to me, you know. So I, I believe that it's a really important piece of the, the story. I certainly think there is room to acknowledge that good musicians like to learn from good musicians. But most certainly, if you put it in a larger cultural context, I think cultural appropriation is an appropriate term for a lot of what has gone on. So let's take an example of two musicians, um, a black musician, a white musician, sitting around on a porch in western North Carolina in the early 1900s. They're playing banjo, fiddle, they're learning from one another. You know, if that just stays there um, or just kind of goes out into that community, it's, it's a wonderful example of cultural exchange and how musicians learn from one another. But if that white musician then goes and gets a record contract um, in an era in which that black musician wouldn't be able to have the same opportunity you know, then that's like a clear example of kind of cultural appropriation in a broader context. Again, it might not even mean that the musician was meaning to do that. They weren't meaning to leave the other musician behind or trying to steal from them necessarily. But the cultural result is the same, is that it's unfair. I think the most important thing is to stop taking stuff personally. You know, I think that's a big problem in a lot of these things is that you can say this is what happened and then people go, well, I'm not this or that or that's not how I blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't really care. I'm just saying this is what it was. And this is why we have these perceptions. So this is powerful stuff. Like we have to grapple with 
perception as a powerful drug. It is. Mountain Village's annual Market on the Plaza ramps up on Wednesday, June 14th. From 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Wednesdays, the market will come alive with plentiful farm produce, eggs, fruits, vegetables, herbs, goat milk and cheeses, and preserves. Local artisans will present a plethora of handmade goods, including leathers, jewelry, quilts, textiles, and wood carvings. The market will also feature a brand new collaboration between the town and the Wilkinson Public Library called Story Walk, an installation aimed to promote English and Spanish literacy, wellness, and connection with nature. Story Walk runs along Boulevard Trail from Market Plaza to the Village Centre. Its grand opening will include free snacks, cookies, and special gifts in Market Plaza. The market offers lunch options like tacos and sandwiches, as well as live music starting at noon. It will run every Wednesday from June 14th to September 13th. Sometimes big problems can be solved with small solutions. Literally. In the second Science Town Talk of the summer, the Telluride Science and Innovation Center will host a talk solving big problems with small things, smart and programmable sponges. Chemistry professor at Northwestern University, Omar Farah, will lead the conversation on Metal Organic Frameworks, or MOFs, ordered crystalline sponges that can be programmed for everything from extracting water from the air for human consumption to emission-free mobility. The Telluride Science Town Talk will take place on Tuesday, June 13th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Telluride Conference Center in Mountain Village. The event is free and open to the community. Officials in Boulder announced the cause of the Marshall Fire last week after an 18-month investigation. As KUNC's Yoslin Mesa Miranda reports, the state's most destructive fire started from two sources. Boulder County Sheriff Curtis Johnson said a residential burn pile and downed power line were behind the Marshall Fire. Both started smaller fires that eventually merged. Officials could not say when or where that happened, but the resulting blaze burned over 1,000 homes in Boulder County. The investigation found no intentional crime and no criminal charges are being filed. District Attorney Michael Doherty said the community has shown strength and resilience. One thing that really will always stay with me was the incredible response by our community and by this state to support those impacted. That does not end today. Officials said fires from both the burn pile and the Excel power line were caused by high winds and not reckless or negligent action. The investigation considered hundreds of pieces of physical evidence, photos, and videos. Jocelyn Mesa Miranda, KUNC. 
political conservatives gathered in downtown Denver this weekend for their annual two-day Western Conservative Summit. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports. This year's conference drew hundreds of attendees. It centered around claims that faith and traditional family values are under attack by the left. The lineup of speakers included Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. She spent much of her speech attacking transgender people. And I'll tell you how they trade the truth for a lie. It's when they say a man can be a woman, a man can be pregnant, a man can play in women's sports. She also defended former President Donald Trump and said last week's indictment was politically motivated. Colorado representatives Ken Buck and Doug Lamborn also spoke, along with Missouri Senator Josh Hawley and former Trump attorney Jenna Ellis. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson was the only conservative presidential hopeful at the event. The conference is organized by Colorado Christian University's Centennial Institute. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Tuesday, there's a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high near 60 degrees. Tuesday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 40. Wednesday, there's a chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies and a high in the mid-60s. Wednesday night, expect partly cloudy skies with a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, June 12th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. This Friday, Planet Bluegrass is generously donating the Beer Booth tip donation partially towards Mountain Film for Students. Mountain Film for Students provides free Mountain Film programming for students worldwide. Thank you to our sponsors at Mountain Film and Planet Bluegrass. If you're at Bluegrass on Friday, make sure you tip. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.